Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan. Welcome to a special holiday edition of Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. As the holiday season twinkles around us, today we're spicing things up with a dash of festive cheer and a sprinkle of culinary inspiration. Whether you're hosting a grand feast or planning an intimate gathering, we're here to add flavor to your holiday entertaining. From traditional favorites to innovative new dishes, we'll explore how to delight your guests while keeping healthy and sustainability at heart for your holiday table. First up is Wipnotic president and co-founder, Tracy Lucal. She will talk about the ingenious method she and her partners use to turn the whipped cream industry on its head. And who doesn't want a little whipped cream on their pumpkin pie or other festive dessert? Let's get to it. Welcome to Food Forward, Tracy. So let's pose this question. How do you disrupt an industry or a food product that's been around literally forever? Well, our next guest, Tracy Luckow, has the answer to that. Tracy is the co-founder and president of Whipnotic. In that role, she works with consumers. She looks at future trends, manages the company's product development and daily operations while promoting the brand. But she's not just your everyday food person. She's a PhD in food science. So welcome, Tracy. Hi, Alan. Thanks so much for having me today. Definitely. So let me ask you this. What is Whipnotic? (laughs) Well, um, Whipnotic is a revolutionary new whipped cream that has um, a, a flavor stripe of fresh fruit juices and natural flavor essences that swirl into the whipped cream with every single spray. It's also all natural, doesn't have any high fructose corn syrup or corn syrups at all, um, and tastes a lot more like the homemade whipped cream that you would make yourself. The kind my mother used to make for strawberry shortcake, you mean? Exactly. That's exactly what it what it tastes like. Absolutely. So with a background like yours, you have a food science degree from Cornell. Is that correct? I do. I have a undergraduate food science degree from Cornell, a master's in food science from Rutgers, and a PhD from University College Cork in Ireland. Okay. Well, we'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> But but what made you stumble upon whipped cream? Was this like in in the shower or in a dream? (laughs) Well, I always think that every, you know, good thing starts from a passion and also from an insight. Um, And really the passion for whipped cream came from my sister, Lori. Growing up, she always loved whipped cream. We would go to restaurants and she would order whatever was a vessel for whipped cream and no one could ever pile it high enough on her pancakes or her ice cream sundae. Um, And really as an adult, she rediscovered whipped cream after giving birth to her daughter and seeking out kind of lower calorie sweet treats that were, I mean, I'll call it clean for a lack of a better term, but made with simple, wholesome ingredients. And so to accomplish that, kind of like, you know, the strawberry shortcake, 
um, whipped cream, um, she had to whip it herself with whipping cream to avoid high fructose corn syrup or complex preservative systems often found in the grocery store options. Um, and the insight really came as she grew fatigued with making it herself and just eating it plain kind of every night. So, um, you know, we got to talking about it and looking at kind of the, the category a little bit more analytically. And, you know, I'd worked for Dannon um, in the dairy industry for a number of years, but I had never really paid much attention to whipped cream, to be honest. And now that my eyes and ears were open, um, I began to notice all of the activity that was going on in food service with baristas who were swirling sauces and purees into whipped cream, creating beautiful patterns and shapes and kind of a much more elevated sensorial experience. And we wondered if we could bring that type of experience to the grocery store in some way. Um, that question turned into a patent and ultimately into a business and a brand called Whipnotic. So walk me through the process here. I mean, did you have to raise money? Um, and at what point? I mean, the patent process is itself quite complicated. Did you put together a business plan first? I mean, walk us through how that happened, because I'm sure there's entrepreneurs chomping at the bit to follow suit. <laughs> Well, it's definitely a, a complicated process, but essentially what we did first was, you know, the first thing that I did was I looked at actually those frozen yogurt um, machines that do like the, 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 you know, the swirling of two flavors together right. and really identified that there was a starting place for this idea, um, a technology that existed already that I could learn from and pivot from and kind of tailor to an aerosol can and make our own. So the idea, the first thing we did was we looked for some inspiration in the world that would show us that our idea was maybe possible. Then we were very lucky because it was, I mean, I don't think this sentence has ever been uttered, but we were lucky that it was COVID <laughs> at the time when we were um, starting to get more serious about our idea, because there were a lot of 3D printers in offices that were left vacant as people moved from their offices to homes. So we actually found resources that were accessible and available to us to start to play and test on the benchtop. And that's how our first prototypes were born. Um, we were also fortunate that we had friends who we could call, ask for help, um, have test our, our idea um, and get a little bit more feedback and a little more ideas uh, to move the idea forward. And we also were at a fortunate enough time where we were able to find partners to work with in the industry who would help us to take our idea from benchtop to something more scalable and commercial. And that was true on the whipped cream side. So we were able to find a co-manufacturer who maybe in an ordinary time wouldn't have taken a gamble on an entrepreneur, you know, like us. Um, but during COVID, when everything was uncertain, they were uncertain as well. And they were a little more willing to take a risk. Um, and that was also true on the molding side of um, our technology, where we were able to find great partners who were willing to work with you know, a, a relatively unknown startup. Kind of after we got a little bit further along, that's when we started to raise money. Talk talk a little bit or as much as you can about the technology. 
Um, what makes it so different that it was able to be patented? Yeah, well, if you look at the whipped cream category and aerosol in general, so you look at you know, whipped cream, um, so old Ready Whip ads from the 40s, or maybe, you know, old copper tone sunscreen ads, um, or even those for spray paint, like the earliest spray paint cans, you'll see that the cans uh, that were used in aerosol-based categories from the 40s <laughs> look nearly identical, um, in, in, in many ways identical, to what is used today. So there's very little packaging and design um, innovation that's happened in, in the entire aerosol industry. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, if you look at the patents for aerosol, there have been about 150,000 patents, but they've all been for things that are really not so visible to the consumer, like improving the tamper evidency. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that's why it was, it was, you know, possible for us to receive a patent. Our, our patented technology is essentially a brightly colored button that we actually fill with fruit juices and natural flavor essences. So the, the technology itself has a substance that's filled within it. And it's made of a rubbery plastic that feels good to touch. And when you press it, it activates the swirl and releases that juice from inside the button and it swirls right into the whipped cream. It flows right in, in a desired swirl pattern. And it also allows for air to refill the button after it's pressed. So the shape stays intact and it's attached to a large nozzle that can be kind of slipped onto any traditional aerosol nozzle today. Um, our larger nozzle has an advantage to it. It allows for the whipped cream to dispense in an airier way that's more like homemade. And it also keeps the fruit juices on the on the surface of the cream so it's really visible and easy to access with your spoon. Um, something like that just doesn't exist. And um, luckily for us, we, we kind of entered a category that has had quite a few patents, but nothing that is really visible or usable to the to the consumer. How extensible is that? I mean, not to kind of get off topic here, are there other applications uh, beyond whipped cream that you can use this for? There are. I mean, the innovation really started because of whipped cream, but we quickly identified as we were writing the patent that it can be used on pretty much all aerosols. So let's say you wanted to put aromatics into shaving cream or you wanted to put aloe into sunscreen. Um, it would be a very visible way for the consumer to identify that something interesting and innovative is happening. Uh, it also could separate oils and waters, which is really good in kind of the beauty industry uh, to be able to combine those two things and have less packaging. So there's a lot of interesting applications, but Whipnotic for sure is our first proof point that the technology works, is desirable, <laughs> um, and, and is fun to use. That would be a great conversation for another time, but I want to move on to something that struck me and I think that definitely assists with brand recognition, and that is the packaging. The <laughs> packaging is amazing. Um, clearly, you knew that. And how did you decide to um, select a packaging company? Well, uh, we actually do all of our design work in-house. 
Um, so all of the patterns on our cans, all of that's done in-house uh, by my, you know, our team. Um, the actual design form of the um, of the of the technology uh, that was done very intentionally as well. So essentially, you know, I was taught from a pretty young age that you know you could try to you know, spend as much dollars as possible in marketing, but really the the best kind of place, uh, the moment of truth is at shelf. And so that's the place to really invest um, because that's where, you know, purchasing happens and you can really change the decision. So that's what we really have invested in. Um, the packaging design on the on the can really reinforces the swirl pattern that you see when you you know press the button and right. see the magic. Um, so that was important to us. We also wanted to be bright, vibrant, modern. Um, you know, the dairy section is so kind of white and beige, <laughs> and so we wanted to make sure that we we were a, a, a breath of fresh color in that section. And then the actual um, patented patented technology, we made sure it was very big, very visible. We have brightly colored buttons on every single one of our SKUs. So it's almost like a traffic light that makes you stop and realize there's something very different about this product than its competitors. So let's talk quickly about sales. Um, How did you originally sell and how was that evolved? Yeah, so we only launched about a year and a few months ago. So we're pretty new, but we launched um, into grocery. That was our strategy to begin with. Um, We're in just over 400 stores now, but by January, we'll be in over a thousand stores, uh, thanks to a few new big accounts coming online. Um, And we also have uh, an online shop that we opened 10 weeks ago. So you can buy us in store or you can buy us online. And um, so far to date in our first year, we've sold over 100,000 cans of Lipnotic. Wow. Yeah. And we are far less seasonal than the category. So really whipped cream is predominantly purchased July 4th, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, but thanks to our flavors, we've seen customers merchandising, for example, our strawberry flavor during berry season next to strawberries. So we've been able to keep pace um, at all all months of the year, which has been really great because that was what we set out to do. Well, I guess the personal question I need to ask is, um, have you thought about or have you created a vegan version? We've really looked at it. Plant-based versions of whipped cream haven't really panned out very well yet. Um, A large reason for that is that they actually often get stuck coming out of the valving. So um, it it clogs. So you're not really able to get the full can uh, that you purchase. And we just would never launch a product that we know would have that defect. Um, that's just because of the solids and the nature um, of a plant-based milk versus a dairy-based milk and how it interacts with the valving of an aerosol can. Right. Um, once we're able to figure that out and we have been working on it, 
uh, definitely we will offer our best selling flavor in a, uh, we're, we're aiming for coconut based version. Right, right. So with the remaining time, why don't you tell our audience how they can obtain this wonderful product, um, which stores carry it, and how do they take advantage of the online offering? Of course, we are available at stores uh, all across America from the Fresh Market, Citarella, um, Harmons, Central Market. Uh, you can find what stores are closest to you on our website, whipnotic.com. There's a store locator, so you can type in your address and find the closest store, or we're available online at whipnotic.com. There's a, a tab and you can shop right there. All right, Central Market, boy. They really have it, don't they? Uh, what a they great really store. do. Yeah, I'll be them. there. I'll be there December third, sampling in stores in uh, Fort Worth and Dallas. So your listeners can come by and and I'll give them some samples. Great. I'd like to thank Tracy Luckow for joining us today on Food Forward, nourishing the world. I look forward to having her back and hearing more about the story and perhaps you know where the company is headed next. We'll be back after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. Our next guest is from the Vegan Society in the UK. Now, if you're not familiar with the Vegan Society in the UK, it is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 1944 by Donald Watson and his wife, Dorothy, along with four other founding members. It promotes veganism and provides information and support to aspiring, practicing, and practicing vegans. In 1949, the Vegan Society created and defined the terms vegan and veganism to refer to the practice of avoiding all animal products. In the 80s, the Vegan Society introduced a vegan trademark 
a registered trademark used to certify products as vegans. Today, the Vegan Society continues its advocacy and provides resources and certification programs to further the vegan movement worldwide. Now, we're very fortunate to have a representative from the Vegan Society, Maisie Stedman. And I hope I don't embarrass her by saying that she is a noted vegan baker and creator of the ethical lifestyle blog, Obviously Vegan. She gained recognition for her vegan baking skills and won PETA's contest to find the best vegan baker in the UK. Maisie is known for her talents in creating vegan desserts, including a vegan version of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's spring-inspired lemon and elderflower wedding cake. She has shared her vegan recipes and baking tips on her blog, and Maisie Stedman's work has contributed to the popularity of vegan baking and the promotion of ethical and sustainable lifestyles. Maisie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So um, before I start, you know, I, I, I said to you in a, a message that my family and I are going to be in London um, for a week, starting next week, and we're on the hunt for vegan food, I guess. Uh, what I'm excited about to see is if I can find a vegan version of maybe one of my favorite pastries in the whole world, the Chelsea bun. Um, oh. So that, that's going to be part of my mission while we're in London. So let me ask you this. Around the holidays, what are some of the most common challenges that vegans face when trying to find plant-based options? Yeah, I mean, so we are really lucky that we we live in a time where vegan options are a lot more readily available in general. Um, and veganism is generally a lot more well understood than it has been, you know, in the past. We've come on sort of leaps and bounds in, in recent years. So I think a lot of the challenges we face at the holidays are not necessarily based on, you know, finding those plant based options, because I think they are or should be quite readily available these days. Um, I think the issue is with the nature of the holiday season, um, meat and dairy based products obviously do take centre stage a lot of the time um, in meals. So I think the challenges we face are more um, kind of trying to tackle um, those stereotypes, I suppose, that you can't have, you know, a festive meal or a holiday meal without those meat-based products um, you might be met with some sort of challenges from family members um, or loved ones that perhaps um, you don't spend that much time with throughout the rest of the year who might be a little bit more unsure of your choices or unsure as to why you're not eating you know these meat and dairy products um, I think as well you know in terms of challenges accessing food you you just need to be prepared really so obviously you might have events on during this season so um you know office parties christmas parties um whatever it may be as we kind of draw towards the end of the year um and you just need to plan ahead really just make sure that you are going to be catered for at these events you know give um give the restaurants a call ahead of time or speak with whoever's organizing the party to make sure that there are options for you because i think those sorts of instances where it's set menus and things you are more likely to be kind of missed off if you're a vegan in terms of what's available for you so you just need to make sure you're thinking ahead really now it's been a while since i've been in the uk 
but it's been my impression, particularly looking ahead, that, that some of the larger supermarkets, Tesco, Sainsbury, White Rose, Weight Rose, et cetera, um, devote specific areas to plant-based or vegan food, which in turn would tell me perhaps that people who are shopping may be more aware that those products exist, or am I mistaken? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you say, there are dedicated sections in most supermarkets now for vegetarian and vegan products. So that there's a real wealth of options and they do tend to ramp these up around Christmas time and obviously going into January, because of course, Veganuary is a massive thing now. Um, so we do see a real increase in options around this time of year. So I think that increases the number of people who are aware that there are options available and you might even get non-vegans sort of choosing these sorts of things just to try them, see how they are, see if they like them. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot more vegan food available in the supermarkets now than ever before. So if I live in the UK and I'm wanting to create a vegan meal either for myself and I am a vegan or someone joining me, what's the best place to go? What's If I had to go to just one supermarket or farmer's market or pop-up, where, where should I go? Oh, that's a tricky question. I think there are so many options now. It definitely depends on the, the kinds of foods that you want. You know, I would obviously always suggest like the best, the best option is to try and support local, um, support, you know, your local um, produce farmers. If you want to go to, um, you know, markets, green grocers, things like that. If you have the, um, you know, if, if they're accessible to you, that would definitely be, you know, my first suggestion as your, your best port of call to get that really fresh local produce, get those um, vegetables, uh, fruits and things like that from somewhere like that. Otherwise, um, all the supermarkets, all the major supermarkets generally are, are really good, as I just said, for a variety of vegan options. So I think it just depends what um, what you have local to you. I know Asda is a really big supermarket in the UK and lots of their vegan um, products are actually registered with our vegan trademark, which can make them obviously nicely identifiable um, to know that they're free from animal products. So so that's a good option if you're um, you need to go to a supermarket and perhaps you don't have as many local suppliers. Well, that leads me to a question about the trademark. So. What does a what does a particular product or supplier need to go through in order to get that certificate? Yeah, of course. So that is um, there's obviously a process that they have to go through. Um, that the our trademark team check um, the different stages of producing a product. They check all their ingredients and the background. So there's just a number of criteria that that these products have to meet in order to be registered with our trademark. And that involves, you know, of course, the basics, like, of course, they cannot include any animal products in the ingredients. They cannot have been um, tested on any animals, either the final product or any of the ingredients that go into the product. Um, and they also have to avoid any cross-contamination with animal products to, you know, a reasonable degree. Um, so, so they have to meet all of these criteria in order to become registered with the trademark. And I think it is important to note as well that our vegan trademark, our vegan trademark, um, 
is it registers products rather than um, companies. So of course we we do register products with companies that aren't necessarily vegan, mm -hmm. but there are products within those companies that are vegan and they can be registered with the trademark as long as they meet all the criteria. So let's move on to a, a question specific to the holidays. So I once declared myself the worst possible guest that you can invite um, for dinner because I am a vegan. What if somebody calls you up and says, hey, we'd like to have you over for in the U.S. Thanksgiving or around the world, you know, Christmas dinner. Um, and you say, well, I'm a vegan. How do you have that conversation with the host to make them feel comfortable, yet have you go as a guest and not sit there while everybody else is eating and you're twiddling your thumbs? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do really appreciate and understand that it can be a really difficult time of year for vegans, um, because as I mentioned before, you know, sometimes you are interacting with people that you you don't interact with perhaps that much throughout the rest of the year, or you maybe don't eat with that much throughout the rest of the year. And all of a sudden you're having these big meals with family, friends, loved ones. Um, and like you say, it can be difficult to navigate those conversations. Um I think the best thing to do is perhaps rather than kind of going blind and maybe have someone question your choices and you might get a little bit heated in the moment. Um, it, it can be quite good to just prepare in your mind a sentence or two, you know, to explain why you're vegan and why this is important to you and just outline, you know, the foods that you don't want included um, in your meal, if they're going to be cooking for you. Um, and just go in prepared with that so you know how to explain yourself articulately and succinctly. And that helps you kind of avoid potentially causing any any arguments or, um, yeah, creating an issue. I think it's really important to be to be polite and obviously understanding. It can be tricky being around people who are, of course, going to be eating animal based products when you're not. And you obviously, you know, you might be uncomfortable around that. But it is a time of year for kind of um, coming together and often sharing. So I think a good thing to do is potentially, if you're able to, if the host is happy, if you're going to someone else's house, you can offer to take a dish or two with you. And that way, of course, you know then that there's going to be vegan food there for you because you've prepared it and you've taken it with you. But not only that, you can share those dishes with other people at these events. And that really helps them understand how delicious vegan food can be and it can spark positive conversations um, and just yeah help people understand the types of food you can eat as a vegan and understand that that caring about animals and the planet doesn't mean missing out personally like I as you mentioned I love baking and that's something I'm really passionate about and I found it really successful um, to like you know bake treats for people and you know gift them or take them um around if I'm going around to someone's house for dinner or something um and you know people are often amazed that the food I give them is vegan and it doesn't have any animal products in they're like how, how how have you made this you know dessert without any dairy products or eggs or whatever it may be right. and people can be really impressed and I think that's a really good way to to help people understand that veganism doesn't mean missing out and the holidays is a really nice time to do that you know, I find it to be a double-edged sword as as you talk about this. Um, I've been to events where, you know, I'm either bringing a dish or I'm having the host prepare 
a specific mm. pro something for me. And there are people at the table that, you know, look at me like I have a third eye or a, that I'm from <laughs> Mars. And the questions are always the same. You know, how long have you been vegan? Why yeah. are you vegan? Et cetera, et cetera. And the beauty of what you just said is, and this happens when we have people over our home and, and make dinner for them and we prepare vegan food that they're not accustomed to, they're always surprised. Like, oh my God, this tastes so great. You know, I didn't know that yeah. you could do this without, you know, butter or dairy or animal products. It, it's really, it can be a great time to spread the word. But to your point, you kind of need to be prepared with a message or a mm -hmm. short, you know, thought that won't catch you off guard. Absolutely. I, I think that's what it's about. Like I said, if you are kind of caught off guard, it can be easy because we're so passionate. You know, a lot of us are so passionate about our, our choices and why we're vegan. If we're caught off guard, it can be quite easy to get heated in the moment. So I think if you go in with a prepared sort of sentence or two in your head of just what you're going to say, that can help alleviate some of those issues. Um, and yeah, like you say, it is it is a real joy um, to share vegan food with people and have them so surprised that it tastes so good. I think even we've, we've come so far, but I do think there is still sometimes a negative perception of what vegan food tastes like. And it's really fun to tackle that. Yeah. So I had a company as a guest uh, a few weeks ago called Greener by Default. And their mission is to work with hospitals, schools, and even companies who are having events. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, how do companies and organizations plan holiday menus that can accommodate vegan diets? Yeah, um, so it's definitely it's definitely really important to be inclusive of obviously in holiday menus because not only do we have vegans looking to enjoy festive menus over the holiday seasons, but you know there are also a lot of people who aren't necessarily yet vegan, but they're they're quite keen on having those plant based options. Um, for a variety of reasons, including health and the environment. So I think it's important for, for organisations to know that there is a really big audience for these types of meals and that they should be catering for them. Um, I think something to note is that, you know, you really don't need to reinvent the wheel when you're coming up with um, festive holiday vegan menus. Um, for example, you know, if you have a main dish that's um, a variation on kind of like a meat roast with veggies and potatoes and things like that. You can really easily make all those sides vegan anyway for everyone by, um, you know, not including including items like butter or any sort of dairy products, etc. when you're making them. Um, and then the main element of the meal can be quite easily swapped out for something that's equally as, you know, hearty and, and filling as the meat roast option. But you can just do a plant-based alternative. So, for example, you could do a pie, something like a chestnut and mushroom pie, um, uh, a, a Wellington that includes, you know, butternut squash instead of meat or something like that. There are some quite simple swaps. It's just about um, really, you know, being a bit innovative, thinking of a nice flavor combination so that vegans don't feel like they were an afterthought. Um, I think it's really it's really important that we we make the vegan meal as delicious as the non-vegan meals so that everyone feels like they're having, you know, a great holiday experience. Right. I saw a video of Jamie Oliver creating a shepherd's pie, a vegan shepherd's pie. Mm. 
and it looked sensational. I mean, it was it was every bit as savory looking. And I've not tried to create it myself, but it looks fantastic. So as somebody involved in baking and desserts, what are your three favorite vegan holiday desserts? Yeah, um, this is a tricky one. I absolutely do love desserts. Um, I think for me, I'm always going to love um, something chocolatey. I'm really big on on chocolate. So for me, that's something maybe like a dark chocolate tiffin or a fridge cake. So something that's you know based around chocolate and then you've got those nice dried fruits and nuts and things in there as well. Um, I absolutely love that. And then obviously in the UK, we're quite big on um, mince pies. Um, so that's obviously, you know, dried fruits make up what we call mincemeat. And we have that in pastry. And a really nice alternative to that we've actually got a recipe for on our website is mincemeat baklava. So that uses um, phyllo pastry instead of like a traditional short crust. Um, and that's a really nice alternative that's just something a little bit different. Um, and then also a little bit polarizing because I know some people love it and some people hate it. But in the UK, obviously, we we have Christmas pudding a lot of the time with our Christmas dinner. Um, and I'm quite a big fan of Christmas pudding. And it is really easy to make a, a vegan version of that. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're, they're probably my my top three uh, sort of festive treats. So before we wrap up, can you uh, tell our audience where they can get more information about the Vegan Society and perhaps access to the recipes that you mentioned? Absolutely, yes. So all the information about the Vegan Society is just on our website, vegansociety.com. Um, we have loads of resources if you need any support on your vegan journey. We've got lots of resources on there. And then, of course, like you said, the recipes are all just in the recipe section of the website. Um, so everything is on vegansociety.com. And yeah, there's loads of helpful stuff on there, uh, regardless of what stage you're at in your vegan journey. Great. I'd like to thank Maisie Stedman from the Vegan Society for being our guest today with some great information for healthy holiday eating. I look forward to hearing more. And I also look forward to trying to hunt down some great vegan food when I'm in the UK. We'll be back after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. First of all, I'd like to thank our guest, Tracy Lucal of Whipnotic, who's giving us some great information on how to use whipped cream in your desserts, followed by Maisie Stateman of the Vegan Society based in the UK, who also suggested some wonderful ideas for healthy eating during the holidays. Speaking of Whipnotic, if you're listening to the show and you want to get a discount on Whipnotic from their website, just use the code FF. 10. That's again, that's FF10 at the Whipnotic website in order to get a discount on your purchase. Now, last week we talked about if you're a guest at somebody's house and you have some issues with eating, how you deal with it, whether you're somebody entertaining and you're a vegan and want to make sure everybody has what they want, or if you're attending somebody else's house and you're a vegan and you have particular food problems, issues, necessities, and how you deal with that. Today, I want to tackle a different subject, and that is um, drinking during the holidays. Now, I think it's important to be able to offer a diverse selection of beverages for people because, you know, you have a large crowd at your house. You don't know, you know, what people drink, whether they're wine, beer, uh, hard liquor, soft drinks, water, Uh, kombucha, mead, who knows. Um, But you also need to be careful of people who may have issues with um, alcohol. So here are some tips. The first thing is offer some non-alcoholic options. So those things would include sparkling cider, soda, fruit punches, flavored waters, and I guess you could put kombucha in here. Um, It has a tiny bit of alcohol in some cases, but, you know, nothing all that um, dangerous. These are also suitable for children who either prefer or need to avoid alcohol. And speaking of that, you know, you can prepare mocktails. Mocktails are non-alcoholic versions of popular cocktails. They allow everyone to enjoy the festive spirit without alcohol. Now, what you may want to do is have separate serving areas. If possible, set up a separate serving area for alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. This can help avoid confusion and it makes it easier for those avoiding alcohol to find suitable options. Now, label your beverages. Clearly label the content of each drink, especially if it's not obvious whether it contains alcohol. And this is particularly true if you have a punch or a mocktail. Respect your choices. Be respectful and discreet about guest choices in beverages. Avoid drawing attention to someone's decision not to drink alcohol. I can only imagine somebody who, you know, is walking around with a glass of juice or uh, a soda and saying, hey, don't you drink anymore? Just picture that scene. Now, also avoid pressure. So in that same vein, don't pressure guests to drink alcohol. Make sure everyone feels comfortable choosing the beverage beverage that's right for them. Make it fun. Make the non-alcoholic options as exciting as the alcoholic one. 
Use fancy glasses and garnishes to make these drinks feel special. Stay informed. If you're aware of any guests with specific issues related to alcohol, be sensitive to their needs when planning your beverage. I also want to call your attention to a topic that we've had on the show before, and that is the growth of non-alcoholic beverages that are meant to, in some way, mimic. Um, they're more so they allow you to kind of interact with people in a in a social sense. And in fact, in an upcoming trip that we're taking, um, we're going to visit the the uh, Three Spirits Distillery in London, and we're going to have both audio and video and interview with the people there. Um, so, you know, look for those. If you go, there's a website for the Non-Alcoholic Beverage Association, and there's a huge list of the companies in that space. It, it, it's really, you know, an interesting uh, sector of the world to, to kind of dig into. So if you offer a wide variety of beverages and you're considerate of your guest preferences and needs, you can ensure a welcoming and inclusive environment for your holiday gathering. So while we're talking about holiday gatherings, I, for one, you know, I'm, I, I understand the tradition of certain, you know, side dishes like, uh, oh, candied yams and really, you know, fatty stuffings and things like turducken, which I didn't even know existed until John Madden talked about it on, on uh, one of the Thanksgiving shows. So I've created a list of offbeat side dishes that you can think about that are less common, but sometimes seen at Thanksgiving. First one is roasted vegetables. And what you can do here is combine veggies like Brussels sprouts, carrots, parsnips, beets, et cetera, and roast them. Now, a word of caution, and I know this from experience, um, a lot of these vegetables roast at different times and different temperatures. So for example, if you put all these things together and roast them, say, for 30 minutes, your beets are not going to be done. Your Brussels sprouts may turn black and your carrots may be just right. So make sure that you check the time that all of these um, you know, roast at. So what that means is you might need to, you know, take stop the roasting procedure along the way and add things as their roasting time permits. Second is wild rice pilaf. So this is a fluffy uh, wild rice with herbs and vegetables added in, and it's a nice texture. This is particularly good if you have um, vegan or vegetarians at your table. So for the liquid, you could either use um, vegetable broth or water uh, instead of chicken stock. The third one is quinoa or farro. Now, these are healthy grains. And while they're kind of ordinary, kind of plain, you really can season them up in ways that make them quite savory and a wonderful side dish for your meal. Then we have fried cauliflower. These are cauliflower florets breaded and fried for a flavorful, low-carb option. Now, to me, one of the ways that you can make this work is, is two things. Number one, I would buy these packaged uh, at Trader Joe's or your local supermarket. That way, you don't have to take a cauliflower and pretend you're a heart surgeon and cut it apart into small pieces. You already get them um, 
you know, ready to go. They're all prepared. And in some cases they're triple washed. So you can just, you know, put them right into the dish. Um, my suggestion is if you have an air fryer, uh, this is a great uh, thing for your air fryer because you won't get that heavy fried texture. The next one is something that I would love if I could eat, and that is scalloped corn. That's creamy baked corn casserole with a cheese and biscuit topping. Uh, sounds quite delicious. Now, corn is not in season in, in most places. Stores will have them, um, but they'll be imported from other countries. Or you could use uh, frozen corn or canned corn. It works just as well. Asparagus gratin. So these are asparagus that are baked au gratin style with cheese and cream. Again, if you're a vegan, and I've done this, it's quite easy to do this as well as string beans or other similar vegetables, peas, for example. The way you do this is you, um, you know, take a, a baking dish, you put a little oil or butter at the bottom, and then you put your vegetables in. And sometimes I'll put potatoes that are partially cooked uh, in there as well. And I put layers of vegan cheese between them. And instead of cream, I use plant-based milk. Um, it's really quite delicious. And I guarantee you, if you season it properly, you cannot tell the difference between this dish and um, you know one if you use uh, high-fat cheese or cream. The next one is acorn squash. And this is one of these kind of zero-sum games. If you do it right, it tastes fantastic. If you do it wrong, it's terrible. Um, so what you do is you take the acorn squash, use a really good knife, be careful, cut it in half, and you can take out the seeds. And as a side note, you can take the seeds and roast them, and they're quite delicious. Put a little salt on them. You put herbs, butter, nuts, or other filling uh, in the acorn squash, and you roast it. And again, if, it, if you do it right, it is delicious. And then comes the salad. And I have to tell you, my wife and I eat a salad every day. So if you're not a normally a salad eater, this is a great time to experiment with salads. And you can be as elaborate as say I am where I you know, make salad, I'll put all kinds of crazy toppings on it and have two or three different kinds of lettuces, but make it easy on yourself. Get a package of greens, and I suggest, you know, you get the ones that are already, you know, uh, triple washed. You can get them at any supermarket. You can put a little feta cheese in them, some ovids, pepperoncini, artichoke hearts. I put in hearts of palm, and then I'll also put in black olives as well. Now, I'm also one that does not believe in bottled dressing. Um, what I do is I'll take some olive oil. And then I like to add in another oil, either almond oil or some other kind of nut oil. I'll put in a half a teaspoon of lemon juice, a half a teaspoon of really good vinegar. And when I say really good vinegar, these are vinegars that have a mother. And that means it's actually fermented, kind of like kombucha. And then um, I put you know, about a teaspoon of Dijon mustard. I put it in a jar and I shake it. And then as an alternative to um, mashed potatoes, which are also heavy with butter and cream, you can have garlic mashed cauliflower. 
So very similar to the roasted cauliflower, you can take, um, and in this case, you can use, you know, entire cauliflower and just cut it into quarters. Um, you steam it or, or you can part boil it and then put it in your food processor and put in a little olive oil, some garlic, some herbs, and depending on your taste, you can either have it chunky or you can have it, uh, you know, real smooth, like a paste. Another um, product in this realm that you can mash is one of my favorite things, and that's celery root. So celery root um, is kind of tricky. It's not available in a lot of supermarkets, but if you find it, make sure that it's fresh and it's really difficult to peel and you wind up um, you know, wasting a lot of the outside of it, but what you get that's left over is fantastic. So um, I suggest that you boil that and depending on, you know, you're going to have to check after about 20 minutes. And when that's done, similarly, put it in the food processor with olive oil, garlic, and herbs. So coming up after the break, we have some special things, including a poem for the holidays and some other things such as gift giving for the holidays. So we will be back after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. Again, let's thank our guest, Tracy Lucal of Whipnotic. And remember, if you purchase Whipnotic whipped cream from their website, Use the code FF10 to get a discount. I'd also like to thank Maisie Stedman from the Vegan Society, who had some great tips. Uh, Maisie is known as maybe the best vegan baker in all of the UK. Also, I'd like to remind you, if you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to get off your chest, you can email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com. That's alan, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com. I'd like to end our episode today with a special poem. 
In the heart of winter's embrace, where festive lights glow softly, gather we round the holiday table where wholesome feats bestow. Amidst the laughter and the cheer, a healthier path we tread. With plates adorned in nature's hue, a rainbow feast is spread. Green leafy garlands, spinach and kale, in salads tossed with kale. Ruby pomegranates, cranberries bright, jewels rich and rare. Golden squash and pumpkin pure, with cinnamon sweet embrace. Roots and tubers, earth's own gift, find their special place. Proteins lean from land and sea with herbs dressed up so fine. Quinoa's pearls and beans so fair. In harmony, they intertwine. Whole grains dance in merry delight. In festive dishes, they play, balancing the feast with fiber's might in a most delightful way. Fruits of the orchard, crisp and sweet, and desserts lightly grace. Honey and maple, nature's treat, add sweetness to the space. Nuts and seeds, a crunchy choir, Sing in harmony so bright, adding texture, flavor, and health to the holiday's delight. In this season of joy and giving, let's make choices wise and bold, celebrating with plates so vibrant, a sight to behold. For in each bite, a story of health, of care, and festive cheer, eating healthy at the holidays brings joy throughout the year. So here's to meals that nourish in season's merry glow, to health, happiness, and harmony as the winter winds blow. In the warmth of shared connections around the table's light, we savor the gift of good health on this joyous holiday night. So this is Alan Wiener for Food Forward Nourishing the World. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So until next time, I wish you a happy holiday season and eat hearty. Eat, <laughs> eat hearty and eat healthy. Till next time, I'm Alan Wiener. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Food Forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week. 